Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. can mean almost nothing but the next installment of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Hello, I'm your host, Nikki Dakota, joined in the studio today by the one, the only, the coolest storyboard artist on the planet for the Coen brothers and then some. We call him a film guy and J. Todd. J. Todd Anderson, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Very funny, George. I see you. (laughs) And via video phone link in Culpeper, Virginia, the man with the largest frame brain on the planet and our man at the Library of Congress. He is an nitrate film archivist at the Library of Congress and a film guy. He's George Willeman. George, welcome. Hello, we're battening down the hatches for Hurricane Hannah here. And uh, hopefully... the Chicken Little uh, weather station told us to do. Really? So are you battened? We are well battened. <laughs> well, kind of. Well, also, may I throw in a thing here that our movie theater at the uh, Culpeper Center is now open for business, free movies three times a week, anyone who's here on the East Coast. Wow. Something to check out. For more information. Right. They can drop us a line. I can send them a schedule. That's filmguys at perfectmovie.net. This is a very special edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO because it is the third in our three-part series about how to make a movie. Yes, so you, you want to make a movie. <laughs> so you want to make a movie. Well, we're here to talk uh, talk a little bit about that. Um, right. This is called What to Do When the Cast Party Ends. <laughs> this is when the magic of having everybody on the street and you're like, Telling them all what to do, like you're in control, ends. <laughs> That's over. You're and no you're longer. stuck with all this unedited footage, and nobody wants to be your friend because <laughs> you've alienated everybody when you're making this movie. And you haven't seen anyone except cast members and technical people because you've been working so hard. So what do you do then? And people say things like, he used to be such a nice guy. <laughs> Gentlemen, before we proceed in how to make a movie, perfect or otherwise, let's remember. Yeah, our, uh, this is this is our fiber for the show, which is perfect movies, and my mummy is anything but a perfect movie. But we will <laughs> we will uh, readdress our rules because that's why this show exists, right, George? Right. And gentlemen, right. those so, rules are our uh, perfect movies always create the world they exist in. And they wholly sustain that world. And regardless of changes in society, our perfect movies retain their meaning and entertainment value. And perfect new movies will never be put in any sort of preferential list or order. They always stand firm and pat on their own two feet. As you may know... Perfect in their own scale. Perfect in their own yes. scale. Uh, J. Todd and George made a movie of their own called My Mummy, which we will say again, not a perfect movie. Not a perfect movie. It's My Mummy, The Tomb of the Dragon without her. Not to be confused <laughs> with The Mummy, The Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. No, 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 no. This is a River Coast release called My Mummy, The Tomb is a Drag Those guys are such copycats. So you've finished uh, filming your whole movie. You've got it all in uh, pieces and parts. There's aspects, and just it all has to be pulled together. Where do you start? Yeah, you're going to get into your editing phase, and you want to make sure that all your footage is there, and it's all cataloged. All your notes are there from your your script supervision, and uh, you can track down all this footage. And your rough cut's going to be generally one-third larger than your actual final cut and uh, right. this is where all of a sudden you don't have to depend on weather and things like that you're at the mercy of electronic devices now <laughs> so maybe weather. As we found out the hard way <laughs> 
Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, because the days of where we, you know, when I actually first started in this business, it tells you how long I've been at it. We were actually cutting on film and sinking dailies on an upright movieola. But nowadays, everything is completely nonlinear and digital, thanks to the folks at Apple and Avid. Those are the two main editing systems. And that's because maybe, maybe you should quickly explain for those who don't know the difference between linear and nonlinear editing. Yes. Hey, George, that sounds like a good idea. Why don't you explain there? Gee, thanks. Um, basically, <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of what it sounds like. In linear editing, you basically have to follow a line. So I mean, in original, I mean, in film editing, you had one piece of film and you were editing it together in a line. So if you had to make a change, it was a major change. You had to take the piece of film out, put the new piece of film in, making sure you were in sync, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the same way with early video editing, where you basically were laying everything down on one piece of tape, and if you had to go back and change something, you had to take that same piece of tape and and re. Uh, record over it. Which means you well, lose a generation of, right. of quality. Of quality, right. Yeah. Now yeah. with nonlinear editing, you can start putting it together, but you get about you know 25 minutes in and decide you want to change something at minute 17, you don't have to make a big deal about it. You just drop in a new piece of video there, and everything, if you've done it right, will stay in sync, and it'll work. You can make approximately, and for those of you who have never experienced it, you can make about 10 decisions to every one decision you would do where you were literally cutting the film, where you handled right. it, because there was two systems of sound. And now the sound uh, rides along right with the, the scratch track, as we call the field sound, rides right along with the picture now. And honestly, you can do these. Uh, I have a MacBook on this desk right here. You can cut with a hard a, drive. A portable. With a hard drive, you can cut your whole movie on this right. little video and and, and you can get a you can get like a 500 gigabyte hard drive that's perfect for editing uh for like under 100 bucks i mean for like, for like less it's than 200 dollars, you could get a terabyte of space which is more than enough to do a feature-length film and and anybody can just about cut a movie together it used to be it was very very difficult to to process your whole post-production process because of the money involved in getting prints and getting that mag coat and everything but now it's like magic. It comes almost in a foil pouch, and you just pour it in water. <laughs> add and water. It becomes a just add water, and there's your movie. So, how long do you think it'll be before film is completely gone from the movie-making process? Well, backing up to production now, they still like to shoot on film negative because it is so dense, and, and, it, and it, it's existential. You can hold it. Although they never touch it now, the film negative will go straight to a digital uh, where they digitally transfer transpose it onto a hard drive somewhere. so they still film it's still Real, ideal to film yeah on i just film. got i just got finished shooting i i didn't shoot it i was working as a storyboard artist um for drew barrymore's movie whip it and the cinematographer shot on film because he preferred to uh sh shoot on film but then it is immediately transferred to digital and the film re really just serves as a an, an original pristine copy to yeah be because it's reference. a very mechanical way of capturing your image through you know the old way of doing it but it used to be you'd take that negative and you'd cut it together and george can tell you a lot about that at the library of congress where they actually cut the negatives and repair them but nowadays they don't even need to do that it just gets digitally stored uh and and after that, it's it's all on a hard drive. So it's really within all of our capacity anymore if we can get some kind of access to a camera and a computer to yep. make a movie. That's very, very simple. The rest of it's just skill, you yeah. know, and now the, trying the to The drawback it. to the ease of editing and, and, and nonlinear and digital editing is that we're ending up with movies that, at least in my opinion, are overly long. Um, I mean, we have movies out there, you know, like the, the new Batman films, two and a half hours long. No. Um, and while it has some really good stuff in it, it's 
it's too long. Yeah. And it's all because it's so easy now to put a film together. I mean, back in the old days when you were sitting there with your pot of, you know, your, your rolls of tape and your pot of cement and, and hundreds and hundreds of, of yards of, of 35 millimeter film lying around you, you are a little more pressed to get things done. <laughs> and 16 millimeter was even more difficult because yeah. of the checkerboarding process. And 8 millimeter was just ridiculous. It was like trying to splice spaghetti together. But we <laughs> did it, though. We, we did, did it. it at Wright State University. George and I did double system Super 8 with Magco. We did it. So That's it can be right. done in, in whatever format, but it's almost it's just as easy as ever. So there you sit. You've got your hard drive full of images, full of sound, and in theory, you've got it on there in some kind of order. Or do you lay it down in order as you go? Yeah, Usually you, you lay it down. I mean, well, I mean, if you put the, the material on the drive, the drive kind of decides where it goes, but you can put it down, and your editing system will have basically what, what would be referred to as a trim bin, and every scene will be up there with a label on it. And then you could further label the, the scenes so you can say, you know, here's interior bedroom, exterior park, you know, cemetery, whatever you want. And then you can t- cut and paste from there. But one of the most important aspects of this, and, and almost everybody makes this mistake, even when they've done it a couple times, is cataloging this stuff is absolutely imperative to, to the nth degree of detail because you want to find this stuff. And when right. it gets lost in that, that cyberspace thing called a hard drive, you've got to be able to pull it up and figure it out. When you slate this stuff, make sure it's slated properly. Yep. And that's that little clicking thing yeah. so that you have a visual reference of exactly which piece this is. It used to be that the slate would rat you out at the lab and they, you know, wouldn't they'd hold your film and if you didn't pay your bill that's what the slate but nowadays you can use a slate to take care of all your you know because you get in a hurry you want to shoot stuff and all of a sudden you just leave the camera go and you don't mark it properly and then you got to find all that stuff the more you shoot the more you're going to have to go through that's the way you might like oh no we can get this right take 83 but you got to go through all that stuff and you're going to sit there with cobwebs hanging off your nose some night you know hungry and that's that's why you want to really make your good notes and be as exact as you can when you're doing this stuff because it's so easy to shoot but you got to go through all this stuff. so preparation very cataloging is, is a hideous and boring project but man it'll save you hours later on you'll you'll be hunting you just can't believe how you know because it's so easy to shoot you're just going to go hunting 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 and you'll just give up and you'll use a bad take and mm. uh, that's you, why shoot all this stuff if you're going to use a bad take you know so you've you've got all of your footage all of the sort of raw material that you want then do you sit there with the script and just and i mean then the script and and your notes your catalog notes basically you are your guide script supervision um you should have camera notes camera notes are very very important you know if you have a script supervisor that's a really great thing to do because that person can take down all these notes, which will come in absolutely handy, all the way to the nth degree of uh, post-production. When you're ready to send this thing to the distributor, you're going to be uh, scratching for, like, uh, we have a special guest today, and he's going to talk a little bit about distribution. But we were trying to get, they were asking for outtakes, so we had to go find some bad takes. And we had to use, <laughs> you know, which is never my favorite thing to do, because I deal with bad takes every day of my life. Go so. into the bad take folder. Yeah, and- but you got to find these silly, you know, you, hopefully you make notes, but you still got to find this stuff and you do it through notes. Yeah. So you want to make a movie. It's a very special edition of Filmically Perfect here on 91.3 WYSO. And it is within all of our grasp. We're talking about uh, the third stage, which is pulling it all together and uh, making sense out of it. What are the some of the hardest decisions that have to be made at this point? Is it time versus quality or, or what do we... Well, if you're on a budget and a deadline, yeah. Time is always imperative. Deadlines are beautiful things, but... 
um, if you're making this on your own, then you got all the time in the world to shovel coal in hell. You know what I mean? Right. It just Which could be a on bad on thing on. because you like I can't remember who it was. One of my favorite aphorisms is that nobody ever finishes an art project. They just make the decision to stop. <laughs> you know, and it's really true. Because even with our little movie, we could have gone on for, for months when we stopped. I mean, there were still things we could tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak. But it comes to a point where you have to stop. Yeah, and you want to – here's the, the easiest, and George talked about it a little bit earlier, is one of the problems that I have with directors nowadays when I storyboard is they say, uh, we'll just shoot it a couple different ways. Well, what you're doing in editing is you want to eliminate your options. You want to just start shaving this thing down. And it used to be because of the work effort putting into to, to um, changing something. You never you tried to make it right the first time. But in digital editing, it's not that hard to go back there and change it. So you become this incredibly indecisive person <laughs> uh, when you're watching. Too many this options. Thing. That's right. And you know, well, you, I think you become kind of visually lazy too. You know, because it's so easy to shoot. You know, shoot a master shot shoot the left hand uh, uh, close up and right hand close up, and then you just, you know, flap it together. Hmm. So they kind of remove some of the creativity from it. Yeah, you just have to, here's what nobody likes to hear. You, it's just like any other uh, artist. You have to have control and discipline, you know. That's what you have to do. You have to really concentrate on, you know, having a lot of discipline and applying it. Because now, here's the most, here's what I can, I can tell you honestly that I think, separates really great filmmakers from bad filmmakers. Um, and I've been around a lot of both. Um, really good filmmakers have made enough movies where they can sit there and objectively watch their movie over and over and over again. And they can sit there with so much discipline where most people, I remember when I made Naked Man years ago, uh, that movie was a movie I made about 10 years ago. That was my hardest thing is for me to sit down and watch that movie a hundred times you know because that's the only way you can get through the picture and make your decisions by watching it and you're talking about something in the rough cuts sometimes over two hours long um so that's what you have to work at is watching this thing over and over and over without getting so sick that you can't look at it anymore and that's the discipline error of a really great director frank oz told me that quite a few years ago I, he said that he goes in and he test screens this thing. And I said, well, Frank, you've watched it like 100 times. because it doesn't matter because this is how you learn. You, your discipline factor, you build this up by watching your movie over and over and over again. And I have seen the Coen brothers actually watch a movie they've made 10 years ago. Just sit there and watch it again. They don't have a problem. They'll sit there and laugh like crazy. I mean, <laughs> well, that's a good testament, We actually. were drawing some movie, and they, uh, we were talking about something in Raising Arizona, and Joel says, let's watch it. And Ethan says, okay. And they did. We sat there and watched the whole movie. And I thought, how do you guys do this, man? <laughs> how do you do it? They didn't make any criticism. They just sat there. And They're, enjoyed the movie. Yeah, and these really good film directors will sit there and watch these things until they're absolutely sure. But they don't have a problem. They never complain. Oh, I'm tired of watching this. I can't watch it anymore. That's They also don't dwell on it when, you know, when the movie's done, it's done, and they go away from it. Uh, hint to George Lucas. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I mean, a really good example is Martin Scorsese um, uh, seeing, watching um, uh, a video of Raging Bull that he did a commentary for, and right at the beginning he says, "I haven't seen this in about fifteen years." So you know, he finished the movie and he just went on. But the George, movie was done. They got the awards. He went on. To who was the director you were talking about one time? This old time director that he was. You know, every time they they take him over to the lab, he'd try to break in there and get the cans out and recut oh, that film. Oh, that was that was D.W. Griffith. He would go into the Museum of Modern Art and start cutting away at intolerance. You know, trying to make it right. 
This is in the 40s. They let him do that? No, they finally locked the doors to keep him out. <laughs> I know. Sometimes I'll be up real late at night watching a movie that I storyboarded, and I'll, I have to turn it over because I think, you know, I could have storyboarded that scene just a little bit better, man. <laughs> well, that's going to be always true, though, so I guess really it is a fine point to be able to I, say I'm not watching the movie. I remember done. in the session when we were drawing, I thought, man, I could have I been a little bit more attentive there. I mean, I might have got here. And pretty soon I just hit the button. No, I can't watch this anymore. <laughs> and this, I would say, I think, and I think, uh, JT will agree with me on this. One, the three most important words in editing, when you get down to the wire, is "kill your darlings." Mm. Don't yeah, let you gotta throw scene, away stuff, man. Yep, just don't let grow. a scene that you absolutely love get in the way of your editing if it's not going to help the movie. Now, here's one thing that we cannot cannot pass over, and this is homage to our friend Doug Thornton because nobody thinks about this aspect of making a movie and how important it is and it's called sound mix the sound mix <laughs> will make make sure Woo. you have money left over for these guys because they're going to transform your movie into something that's going to be better than you ever imagined it because yeah. nowadays the post-production supervisor is almost the director because they can control you through sounds uh, and honestly, nobody thinks about how much my mummy. Almost all the sound in that movie was replaced. We're very proud of our sound mix, as you can tell. Um, you know, whether it sells or not, we don't know. But we're very proud of that sound mix. Um, <laughs> yeah. Almost all that stuff was taken out, and Doug Fortin went in there and shaped it and made it sound wonderful. So that way, it never got in front of the music. That sound mix is one of the most important aspects. You need to be thinking about it the day you start shooting. Plus, another thing that I didn't realize until thinking about my mommy and, and uh, your work on it that in actuality all that so sound as a general practice is replaced by voice looping right the actors, not all of it not just all. some bad stuff because people aren't ever going to get their lines right and the trick is to get it right in the field the first time so the sound mixer can make it sound opulent but very right. often if there's any ambient noise or extraneous noise that you don't want present that actor has to come back in and watch his lips moving yeah. right and you don't want to get in the line. they're always grouchy when they do that they never <laughs> like would to be. do that stuff <laughs> You mean you called me away from my bowl of cereal to come in here and do that? And, uh... and that's, that's one of the things, and a really good film, you will not notice it, but I would say the majority of Hollywood films, none of the dialogues you're hearing in the film is the actual dialogue that was recorded. It's all replaced because, again, it gives the director and his sound mixer a real high level of um, control. control. So in and post that's the name of the game. Yeah, so in post-production you have the added aspect of possibly replacing some of the sounds, but definitely texturing and reworking the sound. Is there any um, visual process, any video processing that has to go on well, after? You have to reshoot stuff, you know. That right. always happens, you got to, you know, to fix it. You know, you got to reshoot. Well, plus now there are, I think what, what maybe Nikki was referring to also is, you know, manipulating the video afterwards, and sure, I well, mean. Well, effects are always, effects. always put in there digitally nowadays, later. I mean, that always believe, comes in later. Believe it or not, we did a lot of green screen uh, in My Mummy. I know it's hard to believe that, but uh, but we that was all composited after really? the fact in video. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of really sophisticated effects in this bandage drama, I'm telling you. But now, <laughs> now, now. how good it does look. But there are even ways for, um, for the average Joe on the street to do green screen with their little DV camera. There are things you can get for your, the home editing suites that allow you to do what's called chroma key yeah. to put in your own like background. Like a weatherman. But here, yeah. all that stuff is easy. Everything we've talked about for the last couple shows <laughs> is easy compared to this. 
And now we're into what do you do with this thing when it's done? You gotta find a distributor. And we're very lucky because we have the My Mummy uh, Frozen Turkey Pictures distributor in our studio today, and is Mike Catchman from River Coast uh, Distribution. Mike, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. So you're sort of like the final thing. It's not just the art and the making and the processing and the reworking and texturing, but you have to get it out so people can see it. So that's your line of business. Correct. Yeah. I've been doing this for a long time, and uh, it's, it's a very fun job. It's a very fun job, but it's also very difficult because of you're dealing with so many intangibles anymore in the marketplace. So you've really got to be sure when you get a film you know, what it has, and we try to basically give everybody kind of a sheet that says, you know, we, we're looking for these cer certain things, but unfortunately, we get these movies a lot of the times after they've already been made. So here's this finished product. There's nothing to be changed or added or taken away. This needs to be sent out to the world. Correct. And where do you start? Where does that start? Well, um, <laughs> we get a big I'm, chuckle I'm, out of that. I'm starting to sweat now because this is the hardest part. I'm telling you. Um, and the, we go out and we solicit a lot of films. We see at film festivals and things like that. Um, then through word of mouth, we get films like Jay Todd came from, to me from through a friend. So, and then we watch the film and we then critique it and get back to the director, producer, and explain how we think we can. Uh, best distribute it. So it's really kind of you looking for a marketing niche at that point? Yes. We're, we, right now you look for star power. Uh -huh. And uh, that's, that's the most difficult avenue to travel right now. So Mike, I, gotta have a question. I have a question, Mike. What do you think, this is always very fascinating because I always hear different answers, but what do you think of the three things that will sell that movie off the shelf? We're talking about DVDs and stores and rentals and things like that. What are the three in priority order uh, what are the three most important things that sell a movie? Direct-to-video you're talking that's just on the shelf. Yeah. There's three things. Artwork, artwork, and artwork. <laughs> Those are the three so things. So this book shall be judged by its cover. Correct. Yeah. And it's so important. I'm, we go over this and over this and over this, and Jay Todd knows from My Mummy how many times I we had discussions on the artwork. It's, it's the selling. It's the... Only it's the it's the advertisement right there. That's that's what the consumer walks up to the shelf to see, and if it catches their eye, they'll take it off the shelf. Then they flip it on the back to read what's what it's uh -huh. all about. Sure. So uh, is, uh, I'm guessing there's no tried and true rules for what is eye catching and what will uh, compel someone to pick that up and be interested in it, or maybe there are. Yeah, there's a lot of things. We look. For, there's colors. There's the, um, the the graphics on the art. There's the to grab the people for my mummy, we use some really cool looking artwork. So it's there's a lot to it. We we sometimes pull some scenes from the film and kind of make it into the artwork. So that's kind of how we do it. So um, so many steps involved in this process, and maybe maybe the most important one, just maybe, could be the artwork on the cover of your DVD well, box. Uh, let, let me say this: uh, one thing I have found on a lot of uh, big release DVDs. It's really interesting because the films themselves when they're in the theater will have this really beautiful artistic poster. But when the DVD comes out, often they have these really kind of gunky-looking covers that have all the stars plastered all over them. Uh. Again, it's an eye-catching thing because the people are looking across and they'll see, oh, here's you know, Jessica Alba and here's so-and-so, you know, and here's this person. You know, and especially if they're big studio releases that maybe didn't do particularly well, but they know they can drive them with a certain star. 
So it's not even their face on the cover. Not even the artfulness necessarily. It's just does it catch the eye? Well, the most the what I'm talking about on our films. Most of the films we distribute really don't have a huge star. So we try to um, utilize the artwork from the film and bring in that type of element. But you're absolutely right. The uh, theatricals, they'll go right for the stars. And a lot of that's ego-driven as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, imagine any ego in this industry. We're talking with Mike Catchman. He's the president of River Coast Film Distribution based in Cincinnati, Ohio. Also distributes My Mummy. Uh, the film guys put this movie together. And, yeah, uh, we, uh, we, we made it here in the Dayton area uh, through Communicore, and our editor was Brian Huntley. Um, John Collis was the executive producer. But we did everything right here in all in the Miami Valley, which brings uh, the city of New Carlisle, man, that's the, that's the movie capital of the world now. <laughs> Officially, city that's of right. New Carlisle. <laughs> it's not once you see it, you'll realize that we did film it in corn country. <laughs> but it's really a cheesy film. <laughs> There's quite a few scenes that will relate to that cheesiness. <laughs> so this film is uh, is about to hit video stores, or is it available now? Well, you can rent it at Hollywood Rentals, and then you buy it through Best Buy on the Internet and everything. I don't know if any stores that it's in available through the sell-through area. Um, but uh, you it's can... available on Netflix. Uh, on it's Netflix. Also, it's available on Netflix. Hey. On Netflix. Excellent. And and how do you so that's all part of your package deal. You have relationships already set up with for example, I'm guessing amazon.com and Netflix and so then when you put a movie into the pipeline, they're receptive to this or do you have Correct. to sell them on every one? No, we sell them on every one. We send all the movies to them, they review them and then they decide whether they're going to pick them up or not. They review them? No kidding. Allegedly, they tell us they do watch the movies. <laughs> Some really of them I'm pretty like, surprised. Eeny, meeny, miny, miny. <laughs> You can actually make more money starting a you know, like film festival and saying you didn't watch any of the movies and you just that's you know there's so many film festivals out there where you send your 150 bucks in your video and you don't know you whether don't hear they anything see it. else from them. <laughs> yeah, I used to hear it back when everything was on video. If you need blank tapes, just put take an ad out in the L.A. Times that you need you'd like to have film submissions. Hey, that, speaking of which, now that is the joke. I'm not saying that there's any fact behind oh, that, but heavens. that is the joke. And then no. Hey, speaking of uh, submissions of uh, of films that people make, it's a real treat that we're up to a little bit of a uh, little bit of mischief here at Filmically Perfect. If we put together mischief. put together the notion that uh, we'd like to have some filmmakers from across the Miami Valley and beyond, maybe try. We have hand. a big contest coming up. We're going to announce uh, here pretty soon, and uh, part of that deal is. Is some sort of River Coast tie-in somehow, some way? These seven silly minutes, you know, you got to make seven minutes that are funny. You seven, know? Uh, seven minutes yeah. or less, because seven minutes might be a lot for maybe a first-time filmmaker. But we're we're calling it seven silly minutes, seven minutes or less of a funny movie. And and next, and next week we're going to have a big call-in show, so you can ask us all questions and you can about the contest too. And there's uh, going to be a lot of prize packages involved. Film Dayton is uh, maybe interested in working with us as a notion of sort of promoting the film industry and as uh, Dayton right here in middle America as being a possible sort of epicenter I, I heard that the mayor of Dayton is looking forward to somebody in a rubber suit rolling all over downtown. You know, <laughs> so so, so we can have our own Godzilla picture, you know, right here in Dayton. <laughs> so you, you might want to start having, getting ideas on the rubber suit that you're going to wear that will, you know, because every time I drive by a city day, I'm like, man, that'd be great city to kind of mash with a Godzilla rubber suit, you know? <laughs> 
So consider that as you move forward and also all of these shows. The uh, pre-production, production, and post-production are available at the Film Guys website, perfectmovie.net. You can drop us a line anytime. We're always so glad to hear from you. It's fi- uh, Film Guys, although I think you should do The Film Guys too. Film Guys at perfectmovie.net. Catch uh, archived audio of these shows at npr.org. You can find us on iTunes or go straight to the source, perfectmovie.net. Gentlemen, uh, I almost feel like I could make a movie. I almost well, feel. we're trying to get you all brave here so you, everybody out there can make a movie. Next week, I think Mr. Catchman will be in the studio here and you can ask questions about distribution and then George and I will try to answer anything we can and get you all ready to go for this big uh, big extravaganza. Seven silly minutes. Watch uh, watch your computers and uh, check out that archived audio. You just might be the feature. And the textbook, of course, is My Mummy, the Tomb is a Drag Without Her. That's your textbook. <laughs> You're going to be a test after these things. There will be a test. If the film guys can do it, so can you. And gentlemen, we're out of time. See you next time. Support Public Radio. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect. Coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website www.perfectmovie.net See you, please!